0: What I want to do is ask you to turn to one passage in the Bible, and then from that point on, I'm going to read other passages, but I'm not going to announce them all, because I don't think you'll have time to find them, unless you're a Baptist. I'll be moved on to the next passage by the time you find it. Let me invite you to look at the book of Acts, chapter 4, and I would like for us together to read over one passage, where we first meet a man named... Barnabas. Now, as I mentioned, this is the fourth in a series of four on the subject of encouragement. The Bible instructs believers to encourage one another. We've looked at passages in Hebrews and Philippians that say such. We are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And I wanted the last message in this to to be about a man, a model of encouragement. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So his name is Joseph, and this is the first place he's mentioned in the Bible. And he's given this nickname by the apostles, which means son of encouragement. And his name is Barnabas. And so when the disciples looked at Joseph, they said, here is Barnabas, the son of encouragement, because that's what his life modeled. I want to look at a, at a few moments for what was it about him that earned him that nickname. What did they see in this man, Joseph, to, to earn a title of, of being such an encourager? And I want to look at five qualities of an encourager, and the first one is here in this passage, and that's where he sells a field that he owned, and he brings the money, and he gives it over to the apostles so that they might distribute it to those who had need. Uh, He had a community mindset. Community there, I'm not talking so much about geographical locale, but within the community of faith, he thought what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. And I think an encourager is willing to give freely of their resources. They recognize that what they have really doesn't belong to them, but but it belongs to God. What God has given is basically there to meet the needs of those around us. Barnabas gave freely. And so I think you and I, as we hopefully seek to encourage others, sometimes it will take a, take a tangible form of, of, of gifts or food or cards or, or time or, or something tangible. And that, that can encourage other people. I know we say that, well, life isn't wrapped up in material things. We, we know that. We don't find our meaning in life from things, but sometimes they sure can encourage another person, or you can be encouraged if you have a need and someone meets that need. I think when we send as a church or as individuals, when we send financial support to people in missions or, or students or others in ministry, we're hoping that it's not the $50 or $100 a month or whatever it may be that may seem like a very small amount compared to their need. We're hoping it's encouragement, that that there'll be more there necessarily than the dollar amount. But when we give our time or our talent or our resources, one of the privileges I have as a pastor is to speak on the church's behalf sometimes when there are gifts to... uh, to people that would say are raising support to do some kind of ministry, uh, I'm grateful sometimes the responsibility falls on me or the privilege to call them and say our church wants to commit this a one time gift or a monthly amount and i'm just um, I'm sorry that more people that I can't put it all on a conference call to the whole congregation sometimes to hear the joy and elation that these people express. I remember. A few years ago, there was a, a young uh, woman who had gotten out of college, and she was going to serve with the campus ministry, with our denomination's campus ministry, I think at a, a small school up in Tennessee. I don't remember the specifics. But she had been involved with our church all while she had lived in this area, and she had a, a pretty great need of about, uh, she needed $5,000 more before she could move onto the campus to begin her work. She had already raised some put support, but... That was going to be a sizable amount in a, short amount in a short period of time. So the next weekend, somebody, I find on my desk a, an anonymous, well, I don't think it was anonymous, a large check that had come from one of our members to the church, basically saying wherever uh, particular or pressing needs are. And I was grateful that uh, the men that oversee the finances and the business of the church agree that, that let's just see if God's in this. I mean, this is very un- unusual and her need and the timing and hopefully God was in it. I think he was, but I had the privilege after that meeting, I called her in my, when I was in my car. I, I was paying attention where I have a speaker phone, you know, in the car. And, and I said, uh, I said, I want to tell you what's happened. And it just, and when I told her, she, she went from, you know, how, how are you doing to it's just silence. And I even in my car, with my bad hearing, I could hear that she was just weeping. And, it, and, and I, started, I started crying too in the car. like, because we knew God was in this. And that was encouraging. It was great encouragement to her. Well, that's what Barnabas did. And I think encouragers use their resources. A number of book, years ago, there was a book called Balancing the Christian Life. And Charles Ryrie wrote this. How we use our possessions demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more consciously than depth of knowledge or length of prayers or prominence of service. Those things can be faked. But the use of our possessions shows us up for what we really are. So I think encouragers not only give, I would add this, they give freely without expecting anything in return. Somebody's trying to encourage another person. They don't care if they get the credit. In fact, in many cases, they'll say, I'd rather them not know where it came from. I just want that person encouraged. I'm not trying to gain something for myself. And so when they give, it's over. Corey Ten Boom put it this way. She said, I've learned not to hold on to anything too tightly because it hurts too much to have God pry my fingers back to get to it. So I've learned to live my life with an open hand so that God can put in and he can take out whatever he wants, and that way I never miss the blessing. All right, that was true of, of Barnabas' life. Let me show you a, ne- a second quality, and that is encouragers accept people where they are. Now, I'm going to read from chapter 9 of the book of Acts. You, if you want to turn there, it's, it's verses 1 and following. And this is Saul's conversion because Paul's, Barnabas's relationship with Saul who becomes Paul is very, very important in the book of Acts. Meanwhile, it says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is the way of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul gets legal permission to throw followers of Christ into prison. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink Anything. So here, Saul, the persecutor of the Christians, now becomes a Christian. Now he becomes a believer. Now, let me jump ahead and just tell you that eventually the Jewish leaders conspire to kill him off because he has flip flopped. He has switched sides, so to speak, and they are uh, murderously unhappy. So they conspire to kill him. Paul goes to Jerusalem to join the disciples, but now he finds opposition not from the Jews, but from the believers. It says in verses 19, still in chapter 9, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those Who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, enter Joseph called Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So the believers in Jerusalem, the Jews hate him, The believers are afraid of him, so he's, well, put yourself in his shoes. At one time, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, well-respected, highly esteemed. Now all that's changed. Those who respected him now want him dead. Now he's proclaiming the gospel. People are responding to that, and he needs refuge in Jerusalem, which at that time was the Christian Mecca. At that period in church history. But he can't get in. He can't get in because they recognized hey, this was the guy who's a persecutor of the church. They had a reason for their concern. A number of years ago, I went to Eastern Europe. The church sent me there on a vision trip. And I was surprised at that time to learn in Romania that in the years before that, in the 1980s and early 1990s, leading up to when things changed so much as far as freedom with the gospel, one in four people attending church were government informants. So in other words, if there are 40 of us here today, I don't have many people here, 10 of you would have been government informants. And you would go back and report who you saw at this meeting and anything that was said and whether I violated any codes of speech and so forth like that. Two trips to Cuba, Both times I've been, we had tour guides because the travel agents, all the travel industry is run by the government in Cuba. Um, Don't get me started on that. But that, and there'd be two bus drivers, and they work for the government. And they'd come into every meeting and listen to what we said. So in Havana, at the largest Methodist church in Havana, we were there on Sunday morning. And the preacher preaching begins to direct his sermon at the informants in the congregation. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. By the way, I was there again a year on the one-year anniversary of 9-11. And in that church, they prayed for people in America. They were very concerned. And they gave observation to the one-year anniversary of 9-11 in praying for us. So... Though we've not, if we've grown up in America not lived in that kind of environment, you would constantly be on the lookout for spies and questioning people's motives. Why is that person here? Is it to hurt us or is it because they want to worship? So they, they just assume with Saul, <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's an angle here and this, this is not safe. But it tells us, now if you remember, I'm talking about encouragement, Barnabas looked past that. And so Barnabas takes him and he brings him before the apostles and he speaks on his behalf. So an encourager has the capacity to see beyond a person's past, like Barnabas did with Saul. Encouragers are willing to accept you where where you are and help you get to where you need to be. They're the kind of person, and hopefully you've got at least one of these in your life, they don't look at your past, they don't even look at your reputation. They have a wonderful ability to say, just let the past be the past. We are starting fresh right now. That's the attitude of an encourager. And they realize that none of us come to Christ with any particular advantage, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so they make allowances, not excuses, but they make allowances for people's faults and try to take people where they are. There's an old column from Dear Abby. And a woman writes to her and said, I'm 44 years old. I'd like to find a man my age with no bad habits. (laughs) And I wrote down what Abby wrote back, so would I. (laughs) There are no people with no bad habits. There are no people of any age with no faults. And so we have to make allowances for each other's faults. So I'm going to move on. The first quality of an encourager, I think they give freely of their resources. Secondly, encouragers accept you where you are. The third quality is I think encouragers get excited about the progress others make. Now, now I'm jumping ahead to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and following. And here's what it says. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And then verse 22 says this, news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So the mission work is spreading now. It's getting further out, reaching other people, and they're responding. And so back, back with the leadership in Jerusalem, like I said, that was kind of the Mecca. I wish I had a better... <laughs> that was home base for, for, the, for the Christian leadership. They hear about that, and they say, Barnabas is our man. Let's send him there to those new believers. Why did they send him? Well, it's my opinion they sent him because I think what new believers need more than anything else, is encouragement. Because with all their questions, I mean, they certainly need prayer, they need instruction, they need mutual fellowship, uh, but they need encouragement. And it goes on in Acts 11, after Barnabas is sent, here's what happened. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, notice what happened. They send Barnabas over to this newly converted group of people. He sees what's happened, and he says, this is genuine. He is truly glad. He doesn't say, well, you know, in a couple of years from now, you'll be mature like the rest of us, you know, down in Jerusalem. He doesn't diminish what's been done. He rejoices with them. He's glad. And he encourages them, and more people come to faith. So I think encouragers, they get excited about the progress of others. There's no one-upmanship. There's no competition. There's no talking down to them as though, well, y'all, really don't, y'all don't really know anything. I did a funeral for a man here in our church a number of years ago, and one of his adult sons spoke some words of memorial about his father. And I've never forgotten what this son said, uh, one of the things he said. He stood up and he said, my father had a saying, never discourage a young person. I thought, what a great way to be remembered. And from my knowledge of that man, which was pretty extensive, he had, he had always been helpful with things like the Hepzibah home, with, with things like that that were helping people. He was a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. He was not, not an upfront fellow. Never discourage a young person. Well, we really shouldn't discourage anyone, but especially youthful zeal. You don't want to pour cold water on that. Let me move on to the fourth quality. Here they are. These are the ones I've covered. An encourager will give freely of their resources. An encourager accepts you where you are. And an encourager also, we just looked at, gets excited about the progress of others. But now I want to see how encouragers encouragers meet the current need. Continuing on in Acts 11, it said he was speaking of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's verse 25. Now, that's strange to me. The church sends Barnabas to this fruitful mission field. He goes, sees what's happening. His words of encouragement and his teaching and preaching yield more fruit. More people come to Christ, and he takes off and and goes to another city to look for Saul. Well, we would think I would have thought if I'd been there, let's raise up some leaders. Let's start doing some officer training. Let's start talking about this church planting another church. But Barnabas saw something different. Here's what I think he saw. He knew the need in a new church is to establish that new church, to put it on a firm foundation and he knew that there needed to be someone to come in and teach these new believers, and he had just the guy for the job, Saul. He connected Saul's gifts and background, Saul' tremendous amount of knowledge, gift of teaching. He couldn't get a hearing back, you know, where they were before because people were afraid, so he said, this is where Saul needs to be. So he goes back, and he brings Saul with him to Antioch, and for an entire year, They teach. And I just imagine it was probably more Saul doing the teaching. But it was Barnabas that got him in there. And Saul teaches these new believers at Antioch. So my fourth characteristic is that they meet the current need. They know how to network. Barnabas, Saul, they need to be taught. Saul needs a place to teach. He's got those gifts. I'm going to bring those together. And so they're, they're not out for personal glory. They're concern is meet this need now who do you know on our church staff like that (laughs) he's not here today but he filled in for me i mean i've never met a networker like john Kinzer. it's usually if you've got an old car he networks with you but i mean if you but ministry wise i mean he's he's always talking there's a church over there and they need this kind of pastor and i know this guy over here and i'm going to try and get him in touch with them and that's what barnabas did that was an encourager he wasn't looking for a way he could advance himself he was trying to meet the need that they had Last in a few moments I have. Encouragers give others a second chance. Now, I'm going to jump over to Acts chapter 15. And Once again, I'm just asking you to trust me. I'm, I'm really reading this from the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. And some period, uh, a period of time has passed. And it says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, they're, they're still together, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So he says, let's go back and do a church revitalization trip. We're going to go back and we'll go to these places and these places. and Let's see how they're doing. Sounds good. Verse 37 of Acts 15 says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So Barnabas says, hey, let's get John Mark to go with us. Let's make it a a trio. We'll go back, we'll check on these churches, and Paul says he let us down before. I can't depend on him. Let's don't take him. Well, this is one of the uh, sadder events in the New Testament. Verse 39 tells us they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, It's true that Mark had deserted them on what we call the first missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey around the Mediterranean area. And some look back, though we're not given many details, some think because he was a Jewish believer and they were ministering to Gentiles, it was just really, really difficult that he was scared and left. We're not told precisely, but it was such a parting that Paul Basically, kind of throwing the towel in on him assisting them anymore. But encouragers are willing to give people a second chance. And that's what Barnabas does. They realize that one failure doesn't mean total failure. And so they say, try again. And that's exactly what Barnabas did for Mark. By the way, if you keep on reading in the New Testament, you know that that Paul's attitude toward Mark changed over time and they were restored, at least as far as respect in the ministry. So it was just a temporary parting there. There's an irony here that I, I think it's just my opinion. I've not read this anywhere, and it's probably wrong because I haven't read it from someone who knows. But it's ironic to me that Paul was not willing to extend to John Mark the very attitude Barnabas had extended to him earlier, which was one of trust. and. Well, who am I to question the Apostle Paul? But that's... You know, Barnabas was consistent. and maybe, maybe he was consistent to a fault. I don't know. But he, being an encourager, I think, thought positive of people and, and had expectations and he, uh, that, that he thought John Mark could meet. I want to close with, uh, uh, with this story, uh, a great example of, of, of encouragement. And it's, it's written by a painter, a painter named Benjamin West. And he became a famous painter. And he tells how, as a child, he loved to paint, but he had no skills, and he had not had any lessons. But he would pull out the oils that his mother had, and he would try to paint. One day, he pulled all the paints out, made this huge mess, tried to clean it up before his mother got back to the house. She came, and he was embarrassed. There's this huge mess in the house, and he thought she was going to be upset. She comes over, picks up the painting, and says... My, what a beautiful painting of your sister. And then she leans over and kisses him on the cheek and walks away. (laughs) Benjamin West later wrote, With that kiss, I became a painter. From that word of encouragement. So I'm leaving you with this. Are you attempting to be an encourager to others? Are you asking, as you are with people today and tomorrow, what is God doing in that person's life? How can I help? Can I help? Of course, do you know Christ today? That's most important. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray together. Our Father, we see in Barnabas attributes of Christ and the expectations of others, the encouragement to others, the generosity with his own possessions to help those with great needs. Uh, the desire to help and not be recognized, the desire to see that needs were met with those those new churches in Antioch through the teaching gifts of Saul, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us today to be more astute and more alert to needs around us and to seek to be an encouragement to those, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.